Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We've been doing a, a series, we started a series last week, looking at the, the, the genealogy of Jesus. And there are these five unlikely heroes in the midst of that genealogy. Last week we looked at Tamar, who was a 19-year-old, widowed twice, who was being oppressed, injustice in her life. She stood up to the patriarch Judah, revealed his unrighteousness, he was spiritually transformed and it changed all of salvation history because of this one 19-year-old woman. This week, we're looking at Rahab. Now, I have to tell you, I'm excited to talk about prostitutes twice. <laughs> and I probably will use the word whore a few times today and all like that because I grew up in church and this is just fun for me. <laughs> all right, so here, here is the... The passage that we get the story from, it's Joshua chapter 2. It's kind of lengthy, so I'm going to read it to you. You can uh, follow along with me. I'm trying to read it kind of fast. And so let's, uh, let's read God's Word. Um, this is Joshua 2, beginning at verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shatima's spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, before you when you came out of Egypt. And when you did what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that... As I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let down, them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours, 
that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of those doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. So we come to this time where Joshua has taken the leadership of the children of Israel and it is time to cross over the Jordan and to go into the land and take the promised land. Joshua learned from Moses. Moses sent 12 spies. 10 came back and said, this is impossible. We can't do it. So Joshua, who was one of the two spies who says, we have the Lord with us. We can do this. Joshua only sends two spies, not 12. So he sends the two spies They come to Jericho. Jericho is the big thing they want to see. So they come to Jericho, and immediately they encounter a brothel. The brothel is built into the wall of Jericho, and Rahab, the prostitute, receives these two spies. Now, this story is important because Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus. Now... (laughs) There's no way. She is an unlikely candidate for that genealogy. And I'll give you three good reasons. One, her own genealogy. She's not a child of Abraham. She is a, she's a Gentile. She's a Canaanite. As a matter of fact, she's of the tribe of the Amorites who utterly hated the Israelites because the Israelites had killed their kings, Sihon and Og. So the Amorites were mortal enemies, not, not friends or partners with the Israelites. Not only that, but she lives in the city. The geography of her city stands in the way of the fulfillment of God's promises. Whether you, you know, the people in the city know it or not, those walls are coming down. And that city is going to be routed. And those people are going to be destroyed. So she should be dead with her people. And then the the last thing is her job. Prostitution has normally been frowned on by the church. I mean, it's just it's just not something you put on a resume uh, when you're thinking about a spiritual leader. And yet here she is with three strikes against her, and she's a mother of Jesus. She's a mother of David. Now. What I want you to understand why this story is so important is because Rahab is basically what we call in theology, we call her a forerunner. She's a type. She's a model. In other words, if you don't have Rahab's faith, you don't have saving faith. Her faith is a singular faith that saves. And, it's, and, and she is the one that the Scriptures look to and says, do you have Rahab's faith. Now, I, I'm going to break this faith down to you and I'm going to use all R's so you remember it. Rahab and all R's, okay? So the first thing is that we realize that what got her attention were rumors. So she hears rumors. She hears rumblings of what God is up to. And she says stories that took place 40 years earlier. Because this is 40 years after the crossing of the Red Sea. 
And she's still remembering what those rumors of the Red Sea did to her people. They melted their hearts. But see, everybody in Jericho heard the rumors. All to the spies, I know in you the land. This is revelation, friends. This isn't just her going, well, I, I, I hope, I, I wish. She's saying, I know that I know. And here's what she says that she knows. She says, I know that your God is mighty. Your God doesn't even stop for seas or rivers or walls. Your God is mighty. And because your God is mighty, I know that the land belongs to you. And then she says, your God is majestic. How do I know that? Because see, every tribe in the Middle East had their gods. They all had family and tribal gods. Because see, they knew that they needed a power greater than themselves to protect themselves. They worshipped gods to get fertility so they could reproduce themselves. They had gods in order for prosperity and for the land to prosper. And here she is saying, I don't... I don't belong to those gods anymore. Your God is the God of heaven and earth. In other words, I'm not going after the tribal gods. I'm going for the majestic God. And then what you recognize is that she, her revelation leads her to say, your God is merciful. You see, that is mighty is awesome. That, that strikes fear in your heart. That He's majestic is awesome. It brings praise forth. It brings worship forth. But that He's merciful means that I can be in relationship to Him. It means I can, I can have a right relationship with Him. And that's, that's what she does in this. And she risks everything for that relationship. And I, I just got to say to you, look, everybody in our nation hears the rumors of heaven. Everybody's heard that Jesus is God's own son. I mean, we're about to have Christmas. Even if people are offended, they know the rumors. They know the rumors of the Christ child who was born in Bethlehem. You see, it's not faith if it's only rumors to you. It's only faith when it becomes revelation to you. You see, it has to go. saving faith is not intellectual assent. Saving faith is risk. It's risk. You have to begin to say, look, this is more real to me than my own family. This is more real to me than my tribe. This is more real to me than my past or my profession. This is more who Jesus is, is more real to me than what's been done to me in my life. And what he says about me is more real to me than what anybody else has ever said about me. Because until it becomes more real to you, you will not risk for him. There are lots of people who are secret agent Christians. That's not real faith. Can't be secret, friends. She risked everything. She risked everything. And it's so interesting because so many people get real upset that she lied. And she lies to the king of Jericho. She lies about the spies. And so you'll hear these moralists, philosophers, all these ethicists, and they're all writing, was it right for Rahab to lie? And I look at this and I say, do you not understand this story at all? You see, she risked everything for her faith. But why did she do that? Because, because faith basically is a loyalty to a new king. Faith is basically an allegiance to a new kingdom. So you have to rebel against the old king. 
you have to rebel against the old kingdom or you're not being loyal to your new king. So whatever the old king asks of you is no longer an obligation to you, but what the new king asks of you is where your faith must be expressed. You see, you can't really have real saving faith till you rebel against the old king. Now that's better than a hmm. You got to realize that many of us in here, we're like, yeah, it's revelation for me. But if it hadn't led to risk, then it isn't faith. And if you're still loyal to the old king and to the old kingdom for your support, your protection, and your prosperity, then you're not in faith with the new king. You can't be saved by the old king because he's, he's destined for destruction. Are you seeing it in your head? Because I think this is one of the most important pictures that you can get. The Bible says Rahab is the model for saving faith. The Bible says Rahab is a type of every believer. Do you understand? You're still living in Jericho. And the king of this place is still looking for your loyalty. But there's a new king and he sent his own son into our Jericho. And those that receive him, he gives them the right to be called children of God. But they can't be secret children. They've got to be professing children. They've got to be confessing children. Or else it's not saving faith. So here's what, here's what uh, Rahab does in, in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 that we read. As these spies are leaving, you know, she's risked everything. She's hidden them. She's given them way out. She makes a really bold request for her deliverance. And so she says this to them. She says, I'm choosing to identify with who your God is. And I'm choosing to identify with what your God is doing. And I am willing to deny and to rebel against and to reject my own culture. I'm willing to let go of my own people. I am even willing to turn my back on my old profession." For your God. And then she says, will you promise me to treat me with love and kindness? Now there's, uh, there's two with kindly, she says. There's two things in here that I want you to see. And both of them are hard to see in the English. But anytime you see the word Lord and all the four letters are capitalized, that is not the generic name for God. That's the personal name of God. See, this woman, this, this woman of Jericho, this Canaanite woman, she doesn't call him Elohim. She calls him Yahweh. She has identified with the personal name and the covenantal name of God. And so when she asks for deliverance, she doesn't say, please treat me nicely and my family nicely. That's why it's hard in English sometimes to translate because the word that is there in Hebrew is a word, has said. And hesed is actually one of the themes of the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament. As a matter of fact, you probably know hesed from one of the Psalms that's so beautiful where it says, your hesed is better than life. 
And what we translate that as is loving kindness, God's loving kindness. But what we're really talking about is God's covenantal love. It's not, oh, please treat me nicely when you come and rout the town. No, she's saying, I want to be covered with the love of Yahweh. I want covenantal, I want bound oath that you will bless my family, that you will cover my family, that I will be in your family. As a matter of fact, what she's really saying, the picture I could give to you that best identifies is she says, a storm is coming and I need an umbrella. And the umbrella of the protection of the covenant love of God is the only one that will withstand the storm. It will be raining outside, but I'll have an umbrella. Can you see that picture with me? (laughs) So she actually is a perfect model for every believer. Think about it this way. These things of the gospel could be nothing more than rumors to you. That you go, oh, isn't it nice? There's a Christianity. There's a religion. Isn't it nice? They have Christmas. And they have Easter. And all of these things. And they're all very nice and everything. And they're just rumors to you until you say, but what does Christmas mean? What does Easter mean? You see, if it means what it says it means, it means that you're in a center in need of a Savior. That you are in a city that is doomed for destruction and you have a king who is an evil king ruling over you and you need to be delivered not only from yourself but from the king and his kingdom. And that when you realize that these rumors of Jesus being the Son of God who came and took upon Himself sin so that the one who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God and that becomes real to you and you're willing to risk everything for that, you are still like Rahab waiting for the deliverance. You see, you're in the in-between time. You're still in Jericho, but you've already met the new king. And in this season, while you're in Jericho, there's only one way to live, and that's by faith. If you live any other way than by faith, then you're living in allegiance to your old king, because the king of Jericho is a perfect picture of Satan, and Jericho itself is a picture of this world. It offers fake security by its walls. It offers rules and regulations, temptations and deceptions. It offers all manner of things in order to ensure the loyalty of its citizens. But you know what Rahab knows, and that is this land belongs to the Lord. And though I live in Jericho, Jericho is temporary. Come on, can you see it? You see why this story is so important? It's because it's telling you that you and I can only live in Jericho by faith. And we can only, only live the way we are meant to live if we come under the covering in the midst of the storm of the hesed of the umbrella of our God. Amen. You with me? Yes. So here's a practical application of this. Think about this with me. In the Gospel of John, it makes it really clear in many places throughout the New Testament, it makes it very clear that in order to come into a right relationship with God, it is through faith or believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That believing that He died 
a sacrificial death, that he lived a perfectly obedient life, that he rose again from the dead and blew the doors off of death, and that even now he sits at the right hand of the Father and he did all of that for you so that you even now, if you are in Christ, you are seated with Christ. Even though you're in Jericho, you are literally, not just, not just in some positional way, but you are in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. You are above the world, not under the world. But see, all you have to do for that to be true is to believe it. But then Paul adds this little statement. He says, confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and you will be saved. Now, did he add something to that or is he telling you something there? I think he's telling you something. I think he's saying the belief is the instrument through which all of the riches of the Hesed come to you. They belong to you. But the confession is the activation of the umbrella. Think about it. You could be walking around. I was in the city this week. You walk around and you got an umbrella and the storm's coming and you have the umbrella and you got the umbrella, but you don't lift it up and you don't push the button. And you're walking around going, man, it's raining. Oh, man, I'm getting wet. Oh, I hate this weather. But all the time you got an umbrella. And you never pushed the button or you never clicked it into place and you never lifted it up. So you're complaining about the rain while you got the ability to be covered in the rain. I think what Paul is saying is confession activates the hesed. Think about this. If you're going around going, oh, it's raining. Well, every idiot knows that. I'm getting wet. Well, it doesn't take anything to get wet. What it takes is something to have a covering when it's raining. And so what is he saying? If you want to be saved in the rain today, confess the Lord Jesus now. Don't be a secret agent Christian. Only those who confess. In other words, the Old Testament said it this way. When you praise Him, He inhabits the praises. When you praise Him, you enthrone Him. You enthrone Him. He's king over the rain. But what do you do when you murmur? You mumble. You complain. Nothing ever goes for me. You're confessing the opposite. You're confessing cursing. You're not confessing the Hesed. When you say nothing good will ever happen to me, you're making nothing good happen to you. Oh, come on. Aren't you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Do you understand? It's your fault. Because if you had Rahab's faith, then all the walls could be crumbling around you and your house would still stand. That's why faith is so important. And you say to me, oh, I can't have that kind of faith. Well, think about this with me. There's a whore in Faith's Hall of Fame. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11 is the Hall of Fame of faith. In there, it's Abraham, who's the father of the nations, the spiritual father of the faithful. In there is Moses, who is the greatest leader and the greatest prophet and who wrote such awesome words of the words of God Himself. 
In there, there's Enoch who walked with God and didn't die because he was such a godly man. In there. And then last, and when you put something last, you don't put it because it's least. You put it because it's most important. And then last in there is Rahab the harlot. Think about that. She's right there in the hall of fame. Why is that? Let me give you one, one or two reasons. For example, the first thing is, you don't get into chapter 11 of Hebrews apart from faith. Faith is the reason Abraham's there. Not because Abraham was a great man. His faith made him a great man. Moses was not a great leader. Moses was a murderer, a lot, uh, an angry guy. He was all kinds of things. But by faith, he became a great savior of his nation. But there's a problem in there. I don't feel much like Abraham. I don't feel a whole lot. I'm not feeling Moses. I, I mean, I respect them. They inspire me, but I'm not them. Well, let me tell you, the harlot makes me feel good. If she's in... Right? I mean, think about it. If, if she's in, there's hope for you. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's awesome. I mean, if it was only all these amazing heroes. But here's the fascinating thing, too. Here she is in the New Testament. And every time they mention her, they have to call her the whore. I mean, they don't call Moses the killer. And they don't say Abraham the liar, but they do say Rahab the whore. I mean, that's, that's cold. That sister can't get a break. But you know why? It's because they just want to keep reminding you where she came from. So think about this. Spurgeon, I love this. I, I love Charles Spurgeon. He was a Victorian preacher in England had it. He had an amazing following all over the world. But you got to remember that most of the screwed-up prudery about sex in the world came from Victorian England. And so he's preaching on this subject, and I love. I, I can just picture him with you know that Victorian high English, you know, this British speaker, and he goes, "Friends, she was no mere hostess. She was a harlot." And it feels like back, I'm back in the South. She was a harlot, you know? You know, you know just that. you got to get this. Because what you begin to see is this is a victory. This, this is a victory. And here's how Spurgeon imagined it. He said, can you imagine those old tournaments with the knights? And they had the joust at the, at the tournament. And he said, on one side is, is this knight dressed in black and his name is Sin. And on the other side is this shiny, you know, silver knight gleaming with light and glory, and his name is Faith. And in the, in the person of Rahab, sin and faith met, and faith devoured sin. What an awesome picture, right? You begin to realize, here, here she was. She's unlike anybody else in the list, not only because of her profession, but also because of her circumstances. All the others within a kind of a peaceful place, within kind of a a quietness, they meet God, but not Rahab. She is delivered from imminent death. She was perishing. She knew she was perishing. Her faith was not only relevant for eternity, her faith was relevant for now. Now. 
Do you get that? She was kept from death by her faith. Here's what Spurgeon says. He says, Christ takes away not only the vulture from your conscience, but He takes away the chains too and makes the man or woman wholly free when He does it all. Yet we repeat it again. The chief of sinners are as welcome to Christ as the best of saints. The fountain filled with blood was opened for everyone. The robe of Christ was woven for naked ones. The balm of Calvary was compounded for sick ones. Life came into the world to raise the dead. And oh, you perishing and guilty souls, may God give you Rahab's faith, and you shall have this salvation, and shall with her stand yonder where the white-robed spotless hosts sing unending hallelujah to God and to the Lamb. And not only is she a model of faith, and not only is she in the hall of fame of faith, but also James, who's kind of a tough guy in some ways. He was a Pharisee, very strong on the law. And, and, and he brings Rahab to us and says, she's a teacher. She's a preacher of the faith. And here's, here's what he says. Now, James doesn't cut her a break either. He calls her the whore as well. In Greek, for some reason in English it always says the prostitute, but in Greek it's the worst word that you can use. So he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, Rahab demonstrated her faith by her works. She was not saved by her works. She was saved by her faith, but her faith produced a brand new character in her. As a matter of fact, not only did she you know, hear the rumors and they become revelation, the revelation led her to take incredible risks which made her rebel against her old king and her old kingdom but it caused her to have to relocate relocate her life relocate her whole her whole profession everything about her had to change and so in order for her faith to be real there had to be a follow-through that took place and the follow-through was this as she sought that salvation from God she demonstrated it by receiving the spies Not only did she receive them, but she carried this whole matter all the way through to where they were safely away because of her ministry to them. She made sure that they got home. Here here is the lesson that James says that the preacher Rahab teaches about faith. He says, it's never too late for God to take you out of your mess. You might be the most messed up person in here, and yet, if Rahab could be delivered, you can be delivered. So, think about the rest of the story then. Because you see, as she carried her faith and was willing to relocate because of her faith, something amazing happened. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, we have the genealogy of Jesus. And this man, his uh, direct descendant of Judah, his name is Salmon. And he's the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Notice, here's a prostitute who is now the mother of the king. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? 
Now, she marries this guy, guy Salmon. This is so, this is amazing. So here's this, here's this woman who nobody would want to associate with. She's a streetwalker. She's a, a, a fallen woman. She, now, she's got a good business head because she, she put her brothel right in the wall where every stranger could find her really easily. But she's not someone in society that you would give dignity to. She's not someone in society that you would include. You would exclude her. But once she's in the people of God, though she's a Canaanite, a Gentile, though she's been this prostitute, the, the heir to the promise marries her. See, she doesn't just live now a quiet life. She gets married in the lineage and the line that God is working in. You see, the Hesed now extends to her very life. She's not only saved from the walls of Jericho falling down, now she's saved into a life of, of effectiveness and impact. She becomes the mother of Jesus. <laughs> but even in this life, the Hesed, in the life she lived, the Hesed was amazing. She marries a guy named Salmon that we know something about. Not only has he got dignity from his lineage, this is the guy who builds Bethlehem. So, I mean, as all good fathers, I'm just excited he's got a job. You know, he's got a job, he's got a name, he's got status, and he brings his covering. The Hesed now extends to Rahab. She's no longer nobody. She's no longer just fighting to survive and trying to make it in this world. Now she has covering. And she and her husband become the founders of the royal city of Bethlehem. Do you know how important Bethlehem is? It's the city of our great king. Wow. Isn't that something? Does that not hit you? That's the Hesed. That's the umbrella in the storm. Well... Let's finish up this. So in order for her to express her faith, in order for her to activate the covenant, she has to tie a scarlet cord in her window. Now this is really, really important. That You probably have heard that in most cities, the bad part of the city is called the red light district. Well, they didn't have red lights. They had red ribbons. So this is signifying exactly what her house is. It's a house of ill repute. It's a house of prostitution. So in order for the covenant to be activated, in order for her to have the deliverance, she has to confess what she is. Come on, let it dawn on you. In other words, if you want to see the salvation of our God, you have to fly your red ribbon. His blood only covers those who admit they need covering. And this was so efficacious because what you have to realize is the walls of Jericho fell down everywhere but at Rahab's house. Do you have a Rahab's faith? Is it just a rumor to you or is it revelation? Has it become something you risk everything for? Is it something you're willing to live in this Jericho and say, but I'm rebelling against the king because I'm loyal to my new king? And are you willing to relocate your value, your worth, your security, your protection to the Hesed, 
to the covenantal love, to the loving kindness of our God. As we come to the table, I want to I make this practical. People, uh, people often ask me two questions for which this table is the answer. They often ask me this question. They say, how can I know that God really loves me? And what I, what I often realize is this. If you're asking that question, you're not growing. If that foundational question has not been answered in your life, you will not grow from that place. You can learn more. You can get more rumors. But until you say with all your heart, this answers the question. Here's what Jesus said. This is my body, which is broken for you. And he's talking to you. This is my body broken for you. You see, he already said this, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So when he says, this is my body broken for you, he's saying, yes, I love you. I prove it with my sacrifice. And then you might also see as he takes the cup, he goes, this is the cup of a new covenant. In other words, this is the hesed. This is the covering love. This is the loving kindness. This is the umbrella. He says, this is the new covenant, not in your blood, but in my blood. And then what does he say? For the forgiveness of sin. So if the issue is you're a sinner, then the cup is for the sinner. And the answer, if you ask the question, do you love me, Lord? He says, here's my body and here's my blood. Here's my covenant. You will not grow without saying, yes, he does love me. But the other thing that people say to me all the time is this, can I trust him? This table answers that question as well. This was the hardest of all the promises that God has ever had to fulfill. Jesus said it this way, I come into this world not to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. And he says that on the heels of, of, of this statement in John where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you trust him? Listen to me. If he kept the hardest promise, which was to kill his own Son, then every other promise he has made to you is easy for him. Yes, He loves you. Yes, you can trust Him. Yes, you're living in Jericho. But today is the day to rebel against the old king. And today is the day to take the risk and say, I identify with Jesus. I love what Rahab said. We, I know, she said, that the Lord has given you the land. Today I'm saying to you, do you know? Do you know? And as you come, isn't it interesting? He knew we struggled. We struggle with faith. He knew that. So he gave us something we could touch. Gave us something we could taste, something we could eat, something we could drink. So that you would say, oh God, stir up grace, stir up faith in my heart today. Friends, you cannot leave here. I mean, you, could, you can tune me out, I get it. But you're now responsible to have Rahab's faith. Because it's been imparted to you today. 
It's been imparted to you today to have Rahab's faith. If, if you keep yourself from it, you're keeping yourself from it. But the will of God is that every one of us would live in the hall of fame of faith. For your family. Look, look how many people were depending on Rahab. First it was her whole family, right? But now we all depend on her because through her came Jesus Christ. Through her came Bethlehem. How many are depending on you? Step up into the covering. Step up and be the covering for generations to come until the king comes and takes the walls down and takes us home. Will you stand with me? going to have you stand for a moment here and then I know it's kind of funny stand up sit down but I just think right now I just feel like the Lord wants you to stand before him you know it's people people have said to me oh I feel so bad I don't have this kind of faith I feel so bad I feel so guilty and some have said I feel so condemned and I'm like do you understand there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean what this is. Is it should be inspiration. It should be transformation. You may be like me. I read this story and I say. God I need the upgrade. I need faith 2.0 in my life. I want to be like Rahab. I want to rebel against this earthly king. I want to risk all. And I want you to find faith in me. I want to go all the way through. I don't want to just start off receiving. I want to go all the way through to the other side of this. See, there wasn't a minute in all of this that Rahab could do by works. She had to do it all by faith. But that faith produced so much in her. And God could do so much through her. Wow. I know this maybe sounds strange, but in my mind's eye, prophetically, I see us putting the red cord on our window and saying, Lord, you're my deliverer. Lord, you're my covering. You're my oath keeper. You're the one I trust. So would you do that? I mean, maybe just a prophetic act in your mind. You just see you're putting the red cord. You're putting the scarlet cord, the red ribbon. And you're saying, and maybe you want to say this with me, Lord, I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. But today my faith is in your covering love. Your said is over me and my house. In Jesus' name. And Lord, as an act of faith now, we take these elements. I set them aside for this holy purpose. It's just regular crackers, regular juice, but I consecrate it for this extraordinary thing that grace will be stirred in our hearts and that faith will arise and that our enemies will be scattered. Faith is the victory. We believe that today. We see it in Rahab. We see it 
as you ask that of us. Faith is the victory. By faith, Jesus went to the cross, enduring the shame for the hope that was set before him. We were that hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We receive you today. Amen. Would you take your seats and what will happen is our, our leaders here will come. They'll serve you both elements. I'll ask you to hold on to them. Um, this is gluten-free crackers for any of you that care about such things. Uh, so they're going to come. They're going to serve this to you. And just hold on to both for just a minute or so here. Go ahead, guys, and take that. Yeah, take one of each and do them both at the same time. Gabe's going to lead us in some songs. If you want to just sing as you prepare your heart for communion. Yeah. 